You're listening to The Creation Academy, a weekly podcast defending the truth of God's Word in biblical creation science. In this week's lesson, we're talking about flood myths and dates versus the biblical account. There are over 500 flood myths around the world. Kind of strange. And so, uh, are all 500 different? Are all 500 true? Or do they all link back to the same event. That's what we're going to be dealing with this week. But first, I have a couple items of housekeeping. If you've been listening to the podcast, uh, this is our 10th lesson, our 10th show, our 10th episode, whatever you want to call it. And I am certainly grateful for that. I'm grateful for everyone who's who's listened, who's tuned in. And uh, this has been so much fun for me already. And I hope it uh, continues to be and I hope it is for y'all. Um, I want to say a couple things. If you have any uh, feedback for me, feel free to leave it. Uh, you can, uh, of course, leave a review or uh, subscribe or do anything like that you want on iTunes, and we would certainly appreciate that. That would help other people find the podcast. Um, I've been announcing this as a podcast and a radio show, and the reason I've been doing that is um, because I had planned on possibly taking this to at least a local radio station in our area. And, and and getting it out there. And I spoke to a guy yesterday who is pretty well known um, within the field of podcasting. In fact, he's, he's probably one of the most uh, well-known people who help you actually uh, get going and, and get doing podcasts. And I spoke to him personally yesterday, and we went back and forth. And, and, and based on his recommendation, I have decided, at least for the time being, not to do that. And... There are a couple reasons uh, for that, but but the main one is that I didn't feel like I was able to give some some topics the treatment that I wanted to within the 15 minutes that we had set, and I set it as a 15-minute time period specifically for radio. So um, I don't know what this is going to look like, okay, going forward, to be honest. I'm just going to be as, as honest with you as I can. I'm, I'm not sure exactly what it's going to look like. I may try to keep it around the 15-minute mark anyway, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, I don't know, something like that. Um, again, I kind of wish you'd leave some feedback. If you don't like that or if you do like that, let me know. Um, I want to uh, give you this content in the best way for you to consume it. So it, it would be great uh, for me to have a little bit of feedback as to what you guys like, uh, what you guys enjoy, and want to be faithful to God's Word, want to be faithful to God's teaching, want to give it the time it deserves to deal with it as it comes, and don't want to be constrained by those limits, and that's the beauty of a podcast. We don't have to be, and we can uh, set things how we want to do it, and I think this is going to be the better decision in the long run for everybody. So um, without further ado, let's get into today's content. Flood myths and dates versus the biblical account. Now, um, if you're new to the age of the earth um, issue, then you've probably never heard this name. Uh, there's a, a, a guy by the name of Bishop James Usher. Now, if you're not new to this debate, you're very familiar with this guy. And we young earth creationists, uh, young age creationists, typically get our dates from Mr. Uh, Usher. 
Okay, Mr. Usher, and we uh, we look at he's he's went back and he's calculated the genealogies and everything, and he's looked at um, four hundred or four thousand and four BC being the year of creation uh, based on his estimation using biblical chronology and things like that, and so it's pretty standard to use his uh, dating. Okay, for the for 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 the age of the earth, that's that's pretty standard. Now, um, Bishop Usher's date for the flood year is uh, 2348. 2348 is his date for the flood year. And some have questioned the dating. Um, not necessarily of of the flood, but what they do is they say, well, the Bible can't be true because we have records going back of civilizations during that time, and there's just no record of any of any mass um, civilizations being being wiped out and then reborn, things like that. We just don't really see any record of that. Um, and so, a couple responses there. You know, I'll be honest. This is one of those places where we don't have all the answers. Um, the 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 biggest idea to understand is that faulty dating methods are um, pretty pretty much paramount to any worldview that goes up against the Bible. We find faulty dating methods in play uh, quite a bit, and so we can't discount that. We have to take that into consideration that dating methods are not as accurate as um, many people would like us to believe. Uh, For more on that, check out ICR's RATE project, R-A-T-E, the RATE project, and that's a a very revealing study uh, about uh, dating issues when it comes to many different things. One example of this, just to kind of um, defend this idea a little bit, is the Chinese um, dynasties, the Chinese dynasties. And I, I was researching this, and I was looking at an article on ICR from Dr. John Morris, and uh, I'm just going to read it to you, okay? I'm just going to read this this little section of it uh, to you, and then we could talk about it a little bit. But uh, So this is from Dr. John Morris at ICR. He says, I was lecturing on the biblical and scientific evidence for recent creation to a university audience in Hong Kong, China, when a scholar raised the objection, the Chinese have a documented history going back many thousands of years, much earlier than your dates for creation and the flood. We have known dynasties and named rulers. The Bible must be wrong. Now, that sounds... Pretty hard to overcome. Okay, uh, that, 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 that's an interesting challenge to overcome. Uh, to be honest, I'm, I'm impressed that he had as, as thorough answer as he did uh, right there. But um, here is here is what he says. He says the solution lies in an examination of the earliest Chinese dynasties. Actually, precisely documented dynasties go back to only about 2000 BC. The first true dynasty was founded about 4,000 years ago by a leader remembered for having sweetened the waters, making the land habitable after widespread flooding. Ten listed dynasties before that, however, were of a different sort, with very long lives and questionable details attributed to them. From a biblical viewpoint, as did all of humanity, the Chinese descended from Adam, then Noah, then through the Tower of Babel incident. The amazing table of nations in Genesis 10, which chronicles the language groups and their destinations, mentions the Sinite people in verse 17, which probably became the Asian groups. The Asian people descended from language groups migrating away from the Tower of Babel after God confounded their languages. Here it is. In all likelihood, the well-documented dynasties date to that event, while the prior ones were faded memories of pre-flood 
patriarchs, preserved as legends. So, is this a perfectly satisfactory explanation? No. Do we require a perfectly satisfactory explanation? Uh, Outside of God's Word, no. No, we have a perfectly satisfactory explanation. Um, You know, who do we trust? Do we trust what God says or do we trust what what man says about it? And that's just the bottom line. Um, We don't have all the answers in this area, and um, I look forward to, uh, you know, contributing in that, okay, and and helping to find that. Um, But you have to understand something, though. Um, Most language, most written records, I mean— for for gosh for Greece for Egypt for Babylon uh, for just about every major world nation at that time we see an explosion just an explosion of culture after what we would date as the Tower of Babel event there in in the Bible and after the flood I mean this is when it all happened is back to the the Bishop Usher dates right after the flood happened is when we see culture just start to absolutely explode and take off. And this is perfectly consistent with the Bible. We have much more evidence for that than we have things that we must explain against it and try to make sense of. So that was just kind of a little aside about the dates, but I want to deal mainly with the myths. I want to look at the different flood legends around the world, look at some of the myths, and see um, where things are lining up with the Bible. I mean, you know, can we trust what the Bible says about the flood? I mentioned earlier there are over 500 flood legends in different cultures around uh, the world. And here are just five of them, and I'm not going to read the whole things that would that would take a long time. But I just want to give you um, the area that it came from, and then the basic characteristics of um, the uh, of that flood event. And then I'm going to read for you um, something very interesting. I think you'll find it interesting. So um, the Aztec legend, for example, has a man, a woman, a boat, a mountain, a dove, and the diversification of language. The Australian Aboriginal um, flood legend has a mountain covering flood and flood survivors. The North American Indian legend has a a great spirit and also a prophet whose warnings were disregarded. A raft, a small bird, and repopulation. The Egyptian legend has a primeval flood that covered the earth, destroyed all but one man in his boat. The Peruvian legend, finally, has water above the highest mountains. All people and all created things perished. In fact, no living thing except a man and a woman escaped, and they floated in a box and were saved. Now, which one of these flood legends is true? Which one is true? Here's the reality of it. In some way... All of them. All of them. Most of the 500 flood legends that we find have some sort of characteristic in common with Noah's flood. Now, it is undeniable that Noah's flood is the most accurately described. It's the most detailed. It's... um, you know, it, it goes into into deep detail about not only the science of it, but also the reasoning for it, why it was necessary. And 
um, I, before I get too far into that part of it, I want to read for you something. Um, this is from the Funk and Wagnall 1950 um, Dictionary of Folklore, Mythology, and Legend. And um, it is stated under the heading Deluge or Flood. And this is what it says. A world cataclysm during which the earth was inundated or submerged by water. A concept found in almost every mythology in the world. The exceptions are Egypt and Japan, but um, again, there are some different exceptions mentioned there, which I don't have them referenced here, so um, there are some similarities even between those. It goes on to describe the bare bones of the usual deluge story as follows. The gods, or a god, decide to send a deluge on the world, usually as punishment for some act, a broken taboo, the killing of an animal, etc., in a um, Tishimishin myth, the deluge comes because the people have mistreated a trout, which seems kind of silly, but sometimes it's for no reason. Certain human beings are warned, or it comes without warning. If warned, the people construct some kind of vessel, raft, ark, ship, a big canoe, or the like, or find other means of escape, climbing a mountain or tree, a growing tree, floating island, calabash or coconut shell, a turtle's back, crab's cave, etc., Sometimes, they also save certain things essential to a way of life, such as food, rarely domestic animals. The deluge comes, uh, rain, huge wave, a container, or broken or opened, a monster's belly punctured, etc. Bird or rodent scouts are often sent out, but this is not universal. When the deluge is over, the survivors find themselves on a mountain or an island. Sometimes, they offer a sacrifice. This is also not universal. And then repeople the earth, recreate animals, etc., by some miraculous means. Now, so this is very interesting. This, um, what I just read for you is describing the similarities between the 500, um, the over 500 flood myths and legends that we find around the world. And I just find this staggering. I mean, uh, let's use our common sense. All of these legends did not just uh, derive out of nowhere. And the similarities between them. These cultures were, were not sharing information back and forth. I mean, this is just, this is unprecedented. This must be explained. This must be explained. And so, um, what are the naturalistic explanations for this? Well, um, to be honest, there's not very many. <laughs> uh, there's not very many. Uh, of course, there are plenty of people who, who you know, they'll just take the geology route, okay, um, and, and say, well, there's no way a flood could have happened at all. Of course, we see that kind of opposition, uh, you know, opposition all the time. Uh, well, you know, the earth is millions of years old. Haven't you looked at the rocks? Well, yes, we have, and, and, and we think they're only about 6,000. Um, but as far as the flood myths and, and, and the idea of this flood happening, there are um, some naturalistic explanations. Well, you know, there is a uh, a giant uh, crater in the bottom of the ocean, right? And um, I forget the name of it, but they're referencing a specific one. It's like an 18-mile-long crater. And, you know, they say, well, some, you know, a giant comet might have come down and hit. And, you know, that would have caused localized flooding in these different regions and things like that. And maybe that, you know, that explains it. Um, of course, uh, the other explanation is just localized flooding, okay? All these different areas experienced a localized flood. Um, these are very poor explanations. And I hate to be, uh, you know, I hate to use such a pun but they really don't hold any water. They don't. And here's what they cannot do. They cannot explain the similarities between these flood accounts. 
They can say that everybody has a localized flood and okay, everybody has their own flood legend, but they can't explain the similarities between these accounts. They just can't get there. And I find that to be a very, very powerful defense of uh, this idea of a global worldwide flood. This most certainly uh, does nothing for those who try to reinterpret the Bible um, as a isolated series of local floods. Uh, as a matter of fact, this is a pretty, um, a pretty valid cultural marker um, to 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 illuminate that viewpoint. Okay, um, what's interesting is, of course, that 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 you and I know that flood denial is taught in the Bible, not just flood denial, but a, a global flood um, will be denied in the last days. Flood denial is 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 taught. And here it is. It's uh, 2 Peter 3, verses 5 and 6. And he's given this discourse here in 2 Peter, and here's what it says. For this they willingly are ignorant of. Willingly ignorant, okay? That by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water world by the world that then was being overflowed with water perished it says that they're going to be willingly ignorant to that fact that just makes no sense to me just willingly ignorant to it they 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 are as uh, one man says dumb on purpose okay <laughs> you know it's it's just absolutely silly um that they're going to deny this this global flood in the face of all the evidence not just the evidence from geology not just the evidence from the topology of the world but um this practical cultural um evidence i mean we we have evidence from culture proving a worldwide flood and we deny it as a culture, as a people today, we deny it. And the Bible says that that's exactly what is going to happen. Now, um, in wrapping up here, I want to go through a few lines of evidence for uh, the truth of the biblical account. Because if we're going to claim that our account is true, then we absolutely need to um, have some pretty good reasons for that. So let's go over those. Um, we need to say first and foremost that flood legends are expected if there was a global flood. Every now and then, um, you know, when, when, when talking with people about this, they say, well, how do you know that Noah's flood is the um, right one? After all, there's, there's plenty of cultures around the world who have a flood myth and a flood legend. Uh, what makes you so sure that, um, that Noah's flood uh, really happened, that it wasn't one of these other floods. And so uh, my question to them would be, well, what if we turned that around? What would they say if the only culture in the world had been, or the only source, rather, in the world to report on such an event was the Bible? They would say, well, where's your evidence from all the other cultures? How come nobody else has a flood myth? See, they have their cake and they eat it, too, and they eat it too. Uh, they, 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 they can't use both lines of argument. It's one way or the other. And when we give our answer, they need to be accepting of the fact that if they had given the other line of argument, then they would have just been running around in circles. And so um, if there was a true flood in any culture, we would expect the other cultures of the world to have reported on this somewhat otherwise it would be very unlikely that it happened. I mean, of course, we trust God's word anyway, uh, because we, we, we have the witness of the Holy Spirit. We have plenty of evidence that the Bible is true, but, but still, but still, it's important 
and and paramount and exciting to me that we have all of these flood myths and legends around the world. They should not be any kind of any kind of harm uh, to your belief in a global flood. They should maximize and they should strengthen um, that belief in it. So um, yeah, uh, the simple answer to that is just turning the question around. You know, I mean, well, what would happen if there wasn't any? But uh, yeah, of course, we expect flood stories from around the world if there was a real Noah's flood. There was a real flood um, sometime in the beginning days of the earth um, or beginning days of culture. Okay, so um, I want to look at the Gilgamesh epic really, really quick while we're talking about the evidence for truth uh, of the biblical account because Gilgamesh is probably one of the most detailed. It's called the Epic of Gilgamesh. It's probably one of the most detailed um, flood uh, uh, accounts but it's not true, and I don't mean that in a derogatory way. I mean, it's literally not true. It's an epic. It's a poem. It's a work of fiction, and the argument is that it very, very closely resembles the account of Noah's flood and that it predates the writing of the accounting of Noah's flood. So the argument in play here is that Noah's flood is actually just ripped off from the epic of Gilgamesh. That's the that's the argument here. And uh, I have a, a few lines of, of, of reasoning against that. Um, number one, uh, what, what many people don't realize is that the biblical flood, of course, predates the epic of Gilgamesh. Okay. The Epic of Gilgamesh was a perfect, well not perfect, but a, 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 a characterization of this event that had already happened. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, they assume that because Moses um, was instrumental in, in, in writing these five, first five books of the Bible, that, um, that he just wrote it, right? And so obviously he did write that after the time, or or he did compile that, I'm getting to that, but a- after the time that the Gilgamesh epic was, was wrote in. The five books of the first five books of the Bible, um, and the book of Genesis even, was was technically compiled and, and, and written after the time of the epic of Gilgamesh. However, Moses wasn't just making stuff up. That's, that's not at all what happened. We got to understand that back then, um, of course, people live for a lot longer, and there really wasn't that many generations at all in between Adam and the time of the flood and to, to Noah's time. And so what they would do, and you can see this in the in the writing, it's evidenced in the writing itself um, at the end of the chapters when they sign off, but you can see that different people contributed their part, okay, to this to the narratives in the story. There's some who would disagree with me there, but I believe that's the case. Um, I, you know, don't know exact, I'm not exact on this, but I believe there's somewhere between five and ten writers, Um all told in um, in in those first books of the Bible, uh, maybe even in Genesis itself. You know, again, I'm, I'm not a scholar on that part. I, ha- I haven't researched any more into that, but but that's what I believe, and um, uh, based on what I've seen so far. And so it looks to me, and it looks like to uh, many other scholars that what happened is Moses compiled the writings of these different patriarchs, of the different fathers, as their um, cultural, um, historical writings were handed down. And so, of course, Moses didn't have to be the one to physically write about the flood in order for um, us to expect that that was the true account. In other words, Moses got his information from the eyewitnesses, from the people that had happened 
too for the people who were there. So the flood account itself predates the Epic of Gilgamesh. Now, I mentioned this a little bit already, but the Gilgamesh epic is just that. It's an epic. It's a poem. It's written that way. It's th- There's no doubt about it. Okay, nobody assumes for any reason that the epic of Gilgamesh would be historical. The biblical account, on the other hand, is written in a historical way. The Bible account is written historically. It's completely weaved in with the rest of the Bible in a way that only God could do. Only the Holy Spirit um could work on hearts and work on people. I mean, we'd be we'd be hard pressed to find a book today that didn't contradict itself or, or say something off in one place that's written by one author. And we're talking about uh, you know the Bible with over forty authors over you know thousands of years and I mean it, it you know multiple continents. I mean, the fact that the flood narrative works so well with the gospel and with the creation account and everything else and the way it's written historically and the way that the genealogies matter, this is a historical account. This is not a poem. This is not an epic. This is history. The Ark in the Epic of Gilgamesh is a cube. You say, well, that's not a big deal. What well, is a big deal? It's not seaworthy. The ark in the biblical account is shown to be seaworthy. Using those dimensions, the design of the ark in the biblical account is seaworthy. The design in the Epic of Gilgamesh is not. Now, also in the Epic of Gilgamesh, it, uh, the flood lasted only seven days. And the boat was built in seven days. Well, these are just unrealistic and, and impractical. We couldn't, you know, we wouldn't expect to see the kind of disaster that we show in, in geology and paleontology and, 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 and the fossil record and such um, if a flood was only seven days um, anyway. And so um, on matters like this that seem to be practical impossibilities for the Epic of Gilgamesh, they work practically in the biblical uh, narrative. The um, Gilgamesh epic is a uh, long poem, of course, that describes a divine warning about a coming flood. This is a description, okay, right from Answers in Genesis website. A man is chosen to build a boat. Animals are gathered. A single door opens into the boat. Heavy rains fall, and the man sends out a dove and a raven. The boat lands on a mountain, and the man offers sacrifices in thanksgiving. Okay, so you can see, based on what I just read, that the Epic of Gilgamesh definitely shares those similarities to the to the Noahic account. In fact, it's it's almost it's almost similar, but. Because of the lines of evidence that I just gave you, uh, they were also compelled to write this. There is a reason over two billion people today profess to follow the Bible, while nobody follows the gods of the Gilgamesh epic. Scripture reveals a God who is infinitely superior and more satisfying to human yearnings than the ancient Near Eastern gods. The contrasts are profound and in fact insurmountable. And I believe that's true. I completely agree with him on that. So the Gilgamesh epic writing predated Noah's flood, but Noah's flood definitely predated the Gilgamesh epic. Absolutely, without a doubt. And I I really should rephrase that. The, The Gilgamesh epic writing predated the writing of the Noah's flood account. But Noah's flood happened first, absolutely, without a doubt. Okay, so um, my next kind of line of reasoning would be that the flood is uh, extremely detailed. Even scientifically, 
in the Bible. And we see that. We see phrases all over. And we talked about that a little bit two weeks ago in our sedimentation episode. Um, but we, we saw things like um, the fountains of the great deep broke open, the waters um, abated, the windows of heaven were opened up. Um, we see these things that um, give us certain markers as to what we can expect. And born from what we know about that and what the science uh, seems to show, that's where the model of catastrophic plate tectonics comes from um, that we talked about on that episode a little bit as uh, well. So um, the amount of detail that we have, not only biblically, but also scientifically in the uh, Noahic account, most certainly um, lends credence to this being the true account of the flood. There are no markers of mythology. There are no markers of legend. Again, as we discussed, it is a historical account. Also, Jesus references the flood. I get tickled. Um, I say tickled, but but what I really mean is burdened and, and disheartened, um, disheartened by people who say, well, we can trust Jesus, but we don't necessarily have to bring in all those Old Testament stories. Uh, Jesus um, lived and died and rose from the dead, and that's really all that matters. And of course, we know that is the thrust of the gospel. But Jesus Christ made some very important claims during his earthly ministry. And if we can't trust what Jesus Christ says about um, other matters, why should we trust anything that he has to say? Why should, we, why should we trust that he did what he said he did? If Jesus is an untrustworthy person, then he is just that, an untrustworthy person. But here's what Jesus said about the flood. Matthew 24, 37 through 39 says this, But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and knew not until the flood came. And took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Of course, he's talking about end times there with his disciples, and he's completely referencing the flood as history. This is this is not just some parable. This is not just a good example of of what things are going to be like. This is look in the last days. It's going to be exactly how it was, as it was historically back in the days of Noah and the flood. The flood account is historical and weaved into the fabric of the Bible's message. And lastly, I'm going to say that the biblical flood is coherent, again, with with the Bible, but also with the human condition, with punishment for sin, and with what we know about the world. We see things like the explosion of culture, after the time that we believe the flood took place. We see the effects of sin. We see where an angry God could destroy a world who had nothing to do with him. We see the rampant effects that sin has on us as a people today, even we who are saved. We see... The Tower of Babel account, which is inextricably linked with the biblical flood account, we understand the explosion of language and written language and culture in different areas of the world. Um, There's much historical evidence for the fact that all people groups came from one area, one area, and we see the language and the different stonework and the different things around the world. It's, It's like my preacher says, it's just 
too real not to be real. That's the bottom line. The Christian message, the Christian story, it is the story of reality. It's too real not to be real. It's real earth history. And the sooner we realize that, and the sooner we bow before a holy God and say, thank you for creating us. Thank you for giving us what you did. Thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for us. And thank you for telling us about all how you did it. So we didn't have to wonder and we didn't have to wallow in the mire and wallow in our sin. Thank you, thank you, thank you, God, for everything that you've done. Until we come to that point, we're going to see a wicked, sinful world. But God's going to take care of it one day. He promised with the sign of the rainbow that He's not going to destroy this world by fire, but you better be- or by water, excuse me, but you better believe it will be destroyed by fire coming soon to a city near you. Are you ready? I mean, have you considered this? If you're a skeptic, you're listening to this today. Have you considered what this could mean? for your life. Investigate the claims of the Bible. I once heard a man say that if you read the New Testament two times through, you will almost always, almost always become a Christian. Read the claims of Jesus Christ. Notice that when Jesus Christ made claims, it was verifiable claims. It was claims that could be easily proven wrong. It was historical claims. Look into it. Follow the evidence where it leads, and you will find truth every time and be willing to accept what that means for you, what that means for the sin in your heart, what that means for the things that you love to do. Not everything that we love is pleasing to God and God will change us and God can change us. The question is this, are you interested in happiness or are you interested in truth? If you want to know the truth, you need to dig into God's word and find out what it has to say. Thank you for listening to this week's lesson here on the Creation Academy. Let's close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we are just so thankful for the uh, amazing revelation that you've given us from your word. We don't deserve to know anything. You, you, you didn't have to do anything for us. You didn't have to tell us anything. You didn't have to send your son into the world. You could have uh, created us like the deists say and just uh, let us wind down and let us go about our way and let us live in sin until we went to hell, went and created another earth, another world somewhere else and just found somebody else to do. But you loved us so much that you sent your son to die on a cross for us and We can never repay you for that, and we love you for that, and we're so thankful that you would bless us in such a way. I pray, Father, that you would go with us this week and until we return next week and help us to uh, gain an even deeper appreciation and love for your word and also for your world. I love you, Father, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.